everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. We are the Malthouse Games Podcast. This, this is episode number 163. We are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort, and usually beer. Including today. And just so you know, this first beer of the episode, a six-pack of this beer, is half the price of one of our second beer. So we are bringing you beers from both sides of the financial spectrum this evening. This first beer is an Aldi special. I don't think we've had this on the show. I sure hope we haven't. I actually didn't look. I don't think I bought this one before. I don't know. Uh, this is White Tide. It is a Belgian-style wheat ale with orange peel and coriander. We thought it was a Kona knockoff, but then upon tasting it the other night, and upon actually reading the label with our peepers, we discovered it is indeed a Blue Moon knockoff. Yes, this is a Blue Moon knockoff with a Kona Big Wave-style uh, White Tide with some ocean waves and things like that. It is definitely a Belgian-style wheat, orange peel, and coriander in the most supermarket fashion available. It is basic, but it's basically good. It's fine. Uh, it's definitely better than a lot of other really basic beers. I always love Belgian-style beers. And even for a very super mass-market style uh, like this, where you're going to find it at Aldi, made by Rockwall Brewing Company in Rochester, New York, it is 5.4% alcohol by volume. Uh, I mean, it's a solid standard. Nothing fancy. Not going to be anything crazy. It's not going to be the best Belgian you've ever had. Uh, but it's actually surprisingly good for how cheap it is. Absolutely. So if you like the taste of Blue Moon, but you have an Aldi budget like we do, highly recommend checking it out. It is delightful. Yep. What have we been up to, Delty Poo? The last couple weeks since the last episode, what have we been up to? We have traveled all over the state. We went we, out to Riley's. We have literally gone almost as far west as you can go in the main of Oklahoma and as far east as you can go. And so, yes, West, we went out to Riley's in Elk City, America. We did, and we played some games and watched some shows and did all that kind of fun stuff. We played 17 games in one day, which was really fun. We did play a lot of games. It was multiple plays of different things, like the meme game SpongeBob Edition. We played Strike. We played Sagrada. We played Azul. We played... What else did we play? We Butts played on Things. Did you say Spongebob version of what did you meme? Yep. We played Butts on Things, and we also played... Strike? You weren't listening. I was not listening. I was What's texting. What's the other game we played with Lakin that was theirs? No, it was ours. Nice buns. Nice buns. I was not. So first, Delton had uh, tapped out for a second to look at a text, and I then tapped out for a second to respond to a text. Basically, we're going to Hawaii in May, and we're trying to plan everything over text, and... Our niece, Lakin, is down to go to the Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, and I had to ask Riley if she was aware that she was the sacrifice. Yes, there is two. there are two national parks in Hawaii. There is Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, and then there is, uh, I don't know the other one's name, Haleakala National Park. Both of them, I believe, are on... No, they're not both on the big island, Haley. No, they're not. They're on different islands. I thought they were. Mm -mm. Uh, Haleakala is on whatever island that is, and then Hawaii Volcanoes is on the actual island of Hawaii, and we're going to be on Oahu, where Honolulu is. Where Honolulu is. But yes, we wanted to see at least one of the national parks there in Hawaii, because by both of our estimations, the national parks in Hawaii are 
maybe not the least traveled to. I think that'd be American Samoa and like Gates of the Arctic would be like the least traveled to, but these are one of the least. I think American Samoa is the least with Gates of the Arctic in a close second probably. Um, But these ones are, if not the least traveled to, some of the hardest to get to. So we wanted to make sure to try to hit both, but probably realistically only going to be able to hit one. And that is just fine. And we said, well, if we're going to hit one, we want to walk on Volcano. Uh, so we wanted to do Hawaii Volcanoes. And luckily, Lakin wants to go, which means we'll definitely get to go. Absolutely, because our lives are ruled by Lakin, and I'm okay with that. I mean, not 100%, but it definitely helps. It definitely helps. And so, yes, we went out to Elk City. We played some games with them. Lakin actually destroyed us in some games. I'm really proud of her. She did, and you did terribly all day. I did too terribly all day. I did win the game of the episode, though. You did, as well as one or two plays of strike. I did. And so that weekend, like Delt said, we just hung out with Riley all weekend. And then last weekend, we actually went up to Tulsa, America, to spend time with Zach, Sarah, and their babies. We did. We hadn't got to see them in a while and had to cancel on them for their, our New Year's plans. But we made it up by coming out this last weekend or going up and hanging out, spending time eating food, relaxing when we could and playing when we could and cooking when we could and eating when we could and just having a fun time seeing our friends that we don't get to see too often because life. Because life. So we're very grateful for the time we got to spend with them and with Riley. And then aside from that, we've just been hanging out at the house. I had dinner with a friend, been studying Japanese. Delton's been drumming and working on his cymbals. So it's been a quiet, nice, and fun couple weeks. Very grateful. It has been a good couple weeks. And it's weird. This episode comes out in February. It is currently the 31st on Wednesday night. January is almost over of 2024. Next year is our trip to Japan, and this year is already like in a full swing, but I'm honestly just ready for this year to keep going. Not because I want it to pass, but I feel like we have good things to look forward to and also are going to have some more rest time than we normally do, and I'm just excited for this year. Yes, very excited for this year, very grateful, and no, I will not be going on a submarine in May. Oh, here's the door. (sighs) It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for this episode is one that I really like, even though I feel like I'm terrible at it. That is Deep Sea Adventure, published by Oink Games. Deep Sea Adventure is designed by Jun Sasaki and Goro Sasaki, and the art is also by Jun Sasaki. Now, Deep Sea Adventure is a press-your-luck style game where everybody has a meeple. You roll a dice and move so many spaces. Decide if you want to pick up the tile underneath you. It can be a tile numbered between one and five. The ones are certain values. The twos, the threes, the fours, each level has their own values. When you pick one up, you keep it, but you don't get to look at the point value. And you can keep going deeper and deeper searching for treasure, or you may decide to return to the submarine and roll the dice on your turn and move back upward, still able to pick up treasure and hopefully make it back in time. Now, That all sounds super simple because, honestly, that's how simple the game is and the decision-making. But for every treasure tile that you have picked up when it comes to your turn, the oxygen drops by the number of tiles that you have. Not the value on the tile, not if it's a tile from the section 1, section 2, section 3, but in general, just how many tiles you have, the oxygen goes down. And this is the oxygen for every single player. It is shared. Then, when you roll the dice, depending on how many tiles you have, you are going to take that number away from what you roll. 
If you have two tiles and you roll a five, you're only going to move three spaces. That's the entirety of Deep Sea Adventure. Unless I'm missing a major rule somehow in the little I've played, that's the game. You do three rounds of that. You do three rounds of going deep, that's what she said, and coming to the surface. Exactly. If you have tiles in your possession and the oxygen runs out, which is probably going to happen, you drop those tiles to the bottom of the ocean floor. They stack and become one tile in consideration for later in the game, and you get no points. Anyone who made it successfully back to the submarine will get points for that round. And like Haley said, you do three rounds to determine who's the winner. One thing to remember when you pick up a tile, it's replaced with a blank. That way you still have a spot you can jump on because you could drop tiles if you want. But each round, any blanks are removed and all the tiles move up. So if you remove a bunch of low-level tiles, that makes the higher-level ones even closer and more accessible and within reach. Which is really nice when those later rounds come because you can possibly get some big points. And the great thing is, too, if you keep your points, you don't lose points uh, from round to round. Correct. So if you get a bunch of points on the first round, then you don't really have to worry about losing those on the second and third round. Though you still want to try to work to get more points. Yeah, you still want to try to get more and more points because you want to make sure to stay on top. But that's the entirety of the game. It's so super simple. If you don't know anything from Oink Games or you've never played an Oink game, there are several highlights from this company. Uh, Deep Sea Adventure, I think, being one of them. Most recently, Scout is huge. I'm just going to shout out some of their games. Deep Sea Adventure is great. Scout is fantastic. A Fake Artist Goes to New York is a fun party game. You've got Startups, which is a great game with some interesting strategies. Uh, I think it's called Kobayakama. I want to say it's Kobayakama that I've played only online uh, that I really like. In a Grove, I find to be okay. I'm not a big fan of it, but it is interesting. We've played, what, Flotsam Fight was one that we played. We played the one where you're trying to find the, like, criminal. You're, you know what I'm talking about? Somebody's the Mafia Man and somebody's the this. I do. I don't remember what it's called. I don't either. Did uh, you talk about startups? I did mention startups. There's also Insider, which is 20 questions, but one person knows the answer, and you have to try to, they have to try to guess it while not being revealed as the bad guy or the knower. So there's all kinds of games from Oink Games. Something that I will recommend, because I have it, uh, have played with Alan and Tyler and really, really enjoy it, is Oink Games has a digital platform on Switch and I think on mobile and probably on PC called Let's Play Oink or Let's Play Oink Games Edition, something like that. It contains not all of the games I just said, but several of the games I just said, plus more You can play with other people online, and then there are a couple other additional games that are DLC that you can buy, and if you have them, your other friends don't have to own them, and you can jump on and play. And so we've played several games. Fafnir was one we played on there that's really fun. Uh, You can play several Oink games like that with your friends over the internet, or I think there might be an option for local pass and play. Highly recommend it, though. It's very fun. I really like being able to uh, have those games accessible like that. Uh, but I also want to add a bunch of those to my collection now because now I know that I like them. But anyway, Oink Games, highly recommend checking them out. They also look cute on a shelf. They are the best at small box games because these games are tiny. They're, I would argue, not argue, I would say they're probably, this is going to be a terrible, uh, a terrible comparison for a lot of the younger people, I think, like our age and younger. They're a little bit thicker 
and a little bit taller than a cigarette pack. How would you know that, Delton? Everybody's been around a cigarette pack or two uh, in their teen years. Uh, yeah, sure. it's, it's not that much bigger than a cigarette pack, I feel. I don't know what else to compare it to. Maybe like an old, uh, old, old iPhone. Delton's mom, thick. if you're listening, he only knows about it because he read about it online. She's not listening. It's fine. And also, I was a teen. It's fine. Uh, but anyway, they're great. They're small size boxes, easy to throw in a bag, easy to throw into a purse. Or if you're like me and you have a really tiny floating shelf, it's the perfect place to display them all lined up together, all cute. I really like this game. I think one, because it was the game that I remember playing the most whenever we were in Montreal. Yeah. We went to the board game cafe and that's where we fell in love with it, even though I lost zero to like 36. Yep. And I remember it fondly now because I can destroy my loved one's hopes and dreams because I'm actually good at it now. So before I talk about crushing the hopes and dreams of my loved ones and all I hold dear, let's finish this beer and grab number two. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today is one brought to us by Haley. Hello. The topic of today is... Mutually Assured Destruction. For those of you who are not aware what Mutually Assured Destruction is, Mutually Assured Destruction is basically we all agree not to do a thing because the thing would kill us all. Mutually Assured Destruction, from what I understand, first became popular during the Cold War whenever everybody was in the nuclear arms race, or I guess we still are. But basically, it came about because the superpowers knew that if I were to use an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb, I know that the opposing side would too. And not only would the opposing side, but all of their allies would use one. So basically, if one nuclear bomb goes off, another one goes off, and three and a half minutes later, we're all dead. And so mutually assured destruction is basically, I won't do it if you don't do it. Let's all stay alive. Even though I know that if I did it, and you couldn't do it, that I would win. Yes. And so while you're processing that, Delton, what's our beer? So the beer today is actually reminiscent. Can I see your glass? The beer today actually fits into this topic really nicely. Except it doesn't. Because... Not only would this beer be mutually assured destruction because it is a very stout and delicious beer at 14.3% alcohol by volume, but as I glanced up at my screen, I saw we've had this on the show on episode 132. Have we really? Literally right there it says, Well, look at there. Prairie, chocolate noir. So it's a flashback. Barrel-aged imperial stout with cacao nibs and vanilla. So it's mutually assured destruction. For us, for drinking it, and for the show, because we've already had it, therefore, it's one of the few beers that we have repeated on this show. I don't think that's mutually assured destruction, but I still love you. Everything has been destroyed because of this beer. No one wants to listen to us now. We're hacks. We're hacks. We're phonies. Better do a control F to see if we've covered Deep Sea Adventure as well. I know we haven't, because we never owned it. (laughs) We've only owned it since last year's Token Con, where I bought it, because it's a Japanese import, I bought it for 10 bucks off of Nick. Here in town. Hell yeah. Chocolate noir. Fancy car. Caviar. So this beer is still just, you can't see through it. It is just darkness in a glass. And again, twice the price of a six pack of the last one. So I think it tastes like it though. So it's kind of worth it. Here's the thing. This was brewed in 2022. It's very mellow. The chocolate's not too sweet. It finishes dry though with a little sweetness for sure. It's so good. So now we're reviewing a 2022 beer in 2024, so I feel like that's a different beer. Yeah, kind of, but here's the thing. Yes, this one single 12-ounce bottle from Prairie Artisan Ales at 14.3% alcohol by volume 
was $12.95. That's the kind of beer we're drinking today, folks, and I do not regret a thing. So comparing it to what I remember in episode, what was it, episode 130? 132. 132. So it tastes a lot smoother now. Yes. And the sweetness is not as prevalent on the back end. It's more throughout, and you taste more of the vanilla notes. And so mm-hmm. I feel like it's a different beer than 2022. I know I'm, I'm stretching right now. I but mean, aging beers that have high alcohol content is a very valid strategy. It does tend to let the flavors change a bit. And there's a reason that me and you like to age beers. Because, because we forget like about this. them in the fridge. No, it's stuff like this. Like, I've still got a four-pack of Chimay Blue from when? Oh, God, that was whenever we were still in school. So probably 2015, 2016. It's still back there. I mean, it's only 9%, but or 11, 9. But it's in there in the dark, just chilling. And I have my Bigfoot still. I have yep. a couple of 2023s, but I have a couple of 2014s as well. And you also gave me the that Orvilla Triple. Yes. Uh, or Ovila Triple that's back there. Or not Triple, I'm sorry. It's uh, Saison. Saison. Yep. I don't know how that will be at this point because it's a natural cork. So, But they're also upright, so they're not actually soaking the cork. But anyway, uh, yes, that's this beer. It is a repeat. Here we are. But as Haley said for the topic, Mutually Assured Destruction, that came about because specifically of one game, our only game this week, uh, that weekend, of Deep Sea Adventure. So Deep Sea Adventure is a game, like I said, where you're pushing your luck. The more things you pick up, the slower you move, and the more the oxygen depletes as you take your turns. What that means is, as everyone is picking up stuff, if someone decides to be a little gung-ho, they drain more oxygen than the rest of us, and they can't move, which means they're out there in the ocean using that oxygen when they could have dropped some stuff and got to the submarine, because when you're in the submarine returned, you stop using up the oxygen. Yes, and so first round of the game, nobody won any points. We all lost horribly. Second round of the game, I actually came back with some points that I was very proud of. I was the only one who got points that round, and I made sure I was the only person who got points the entire rest of the game because I tanked us the third round. Yes, she did, and we wanted to talk about that because that, in some games, is a valid strategy for maintaining a lead. In this game, she said, I'm going to pick up a treasure thing. I'm going to pick up a treasure thing. I'm going to pick up a treasure thing until she just got stuck, couldn't move. And just every time her turn came around, boom, four oxygen, gone. Boom, four. There's only 25 oxygen to start. So that's incredible. And then I'm over here with two, and Riley had two or three. So with one round around the table, that's eight oxygen out of 25. That's not going to last very long. Not at all. And it did not. And so. Uh, mutually assured destruction, like, I feel like in earlier rounds where we're all trying to get points, that's whatever mutually assured destruction applies. Like, okay, we all have to make a pact to not tank it, so that way we can make it back to the top with our points. Because you're picking up little point pieces, we don't necessarily know how many points you have until your points are secure at the end of the round. Yes, you know the range. Like, the level one pieces are between, like, two and five points. Level two is between six and ten points, and things like that. Yes, so... There's kind of like an unspoken, well, I guess it is kind of spoken, uh, a pact that, okay, let's try not to tank it so we can all make it back with our pointses. But it was after that second round, whenever I was the only one who made it back, I was like, why would I, why would I agree to this anymore? I've already got what I want. I can be selfish. Yeah, you already had points while me and Riley had zero points. So you were able to just say, 
you guys aren't like you pretended like you were going to join us and try to go deep and get good points. And then all of a sudden, here you go, picking shit up. I'm an actress. We knew. Oh, God, it's over. I'm an actress. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, But that's it's a valid strategy in a game like this where you have multiple rounds and you can earn points. And if you've got the lead, you can try your best to ensure that you maintain that lead. I started off nuclear warfare and killed us all. But uh, you said that this is Alan's strategy, too, when he plays. Alan did this to me and Tyler, yeah, where he was like, heh, 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 Just he would move the first move, picking up. And Tyler made jokes about always pick up. And I was like, okay. And so I started to do that and realized very quickly that was bad. Um, but Alan was big. I think it was the last round of that game he tanked to maintain the lead or maybe to keep me in the win over Tyler or Tyler to win over me, something like that. Uh, and it's definitely a valid strategy. And there's there's not a ton of games that have something like this because this has rounds. It's not just one go. But there are games that are sort of a race or a, a push or someone could trigger the end. They could trigger the end. Who's going to trigger the end? And that's similar to this while still being a little bit different. Something that we talked about with this topic is actually trying not to go too pigeonholed, uh, too distinct and zooming in on one specific section because there's so many ways like i said racing to finish something or uh, trying to go ahead and push the end of the game by doing something that triggers the end those are kind of elements of this but also i feel like they're each slightly different but they're very minute differences and we didn't want to have to try to get into that today So basically, it's doing something that's going to ruin the game for everybody, or in this case, tanking a round because you already have enough points from the previous rounds that you are not concerned. And so what we also wanted to talk about, too, was the difference between throwing the game because you're not winning and throwing the game in order to lose. Or in order to win. In order to win. (laughs) In order to lose. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. And so this might be my bias coming through because this was my strategy in order to win, and I'm... I'm fully prepared to have pushback on this, but I feel like there's a difference there. Like for me, I was in the in the lead and I wanted to prevent everyone else from getting points. So instead of continuing with my offensive goal of collecting points, I went on the defense and tried to make sure that no one else could get any more points. And I feel like that's different between like the difference between this and throwing a game is I'm there to maintain my lead and keep you from getting points rather than I'm not winning, therefore I'm going to make this game miserable for everybody. Yes, the second one, the second uh, uh, descriptor there, the, the latter of the two, a lot of times is considered sandbagging, mm-hmm. where someone is trying to tank a game because they're not enjoying it and they just want it to end, or they're trying to make sure no one else is having as good of a time. And I think that when it comes down to it, you using the third round to tank the round so you can maintain your lead versus someone who's just straight up not having fun trying to get the game to end. The difference there is intent. Your intent is playful. It's part of the game. It's literally how the game functions. It's not just circumventing certain things of, I'm not even going to try to earn points. I'm just going to try to make this deck run out of cards you're not playing your own game because like in sandbagging you're playing your own game i'm just going to make this miserable for everybody yeah or i'm going to make it run out of cards nobody gets points like you're you're neglecting the objective of the game and your entire game is to just make it to where nobody wins yeah exactly 
And spoiler alert, if you do that, you're kind of an asshole, depending on the table. And that's something to consider, too, is tanking a game because you're not having fun is generally considered very rude because everyone else wants to play this game. Tanking a game by refusing to play by the rules or not even refusing to play by the rules, refusing to actually progress or go for points in lieu of, or sorry, trying to end the game in lieu of going for points. You're not going for points. You're not participating in the actual game. You're playing your own game is generally seen as very, very rude. However, some friend groups that might just be a thing, it's going to depend person to person, group to group. But I still would say avoid that, please. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it comes what it all comes down to is playing games, keeping the social contract in mind, which that might be a whole other topic for another episode. Yep. But basically, social contract is like the unspoken rules of any social situation. Like you go into a restaurant, there's a certain script that we follow. If there's a wait to be seated sign, you wait to be seated. You wait for the menu to come. Like there's a certain social script. Um, and so there's this like unspoken social script in these situations where, you know, in, in something like, I don't know, Ticket to Ride, you can make the deck run out or you can um, take all the, I guess you don't, can't make the deck run out, but you can take all of the trains. You can hoard cards because there's no hand limit. And you can basically tank the game and make it horrible for everybody. But that kind of goes against the social contract of the game, which is to build trains, Delton. So here's the thing, though. There are tournaments of Ticket to Ride. Mm -hmm. The prevalent strategy is hoarding cards because you can take cards until you get exactly what you need for multiple turns in a row. Therefore, if the whole table is playing by those rules, you're still just playing the game and there's no tanking and there's no sandbagging. But if it's me and you and Riley and Lakin playing the game, and I'm over here with a hand of like 60 cards. I'm the asshole. And that makes sense. Again, it's the social contract. Like yes. the social contract at one of those, you know, tournaments is very different than sitting in Riley's living room when you're playing with a seven-year-old. Yes, you don't always have to be playing at tournament level to enjoy a game because you might be making others not enjoy the game by playing with some strategy that just is a known thing. You're like, oh, well, actually, based on my research of the statistical probabilities, if I take the moat in Dominion on turn one, and then I buy a gold as soon as possible, I'm probably going to win this game of Dominion. So I'm going to play that way. Every When you're doing that, there's no, like, that starts to take away the fun from everybody else because you're not participating in the group aspect and the table's fun. You're doing your own thing, which, yes, you're still playing the game, but it's like, come on. Yeah. Come on. And so with Deep Sea Adventure, like, I could have gone in first round and just tanked it. Second round, tanked it. Third round, and tanked it. And nobody would have gotten any points. <laughs> Submarines are stupid. <laughs> Submarines are stupid. Again, I am not going in one in May in Hawaii. Last time I was Come in on. a submarine in Hawaii, it was the worst experience of my life. Never again. And so you can go. I could go into a deep-sea adventure and just tank every single round, and nobody gets any points. And that's basically the same thing I did in round three. But in round three, you know, I had points. So the social contract said, Okay, well, you have, I'm, I'm doing this in order to win. I'm not doing this in order to keep everybody from having fun. That makes sense. Absolutely. And I do think there are strategic advantages to that. Obviously, in this game, it works. There are going to be other games that strategically, it's a valid choice. I'm just glad that you approach it from a strategic choice. I know you're not just saying, I just want this game to be over. I'm going to rush the end. No, even though it brings back memories from a terrible experience in a submarine. I don't want it to end. <laughs> and that's just fine. 
Well, I think that that's really going to cover this topic as well as like my brain can function for it. We need tofu and rice and veggies. We need dinner. Let's go to the question. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. So the question for today, I love, by the way, how you and me both are in the habit of when the new topic happens. So so it's got this start <laughs> and dissension. So. so it's like we're jumping off a cliff. So yeah. Yeah. So what? <laughs> <laughs> I landed on my board games. I'm safe. I wish I had a crushed cardboard sound to make. Sure, the internet will provide. The internet will provide. I can find that in two <laughs> seconds or just record it, to be honest. Uh, the question for today is what is our favorite sea story? Not sea shanty. It's a whole thing. Sea story, a story about a sea, S-E-A, like an ocean that touches land. I think that's the definition. I learned mine today. I heard this story today, and I am so excited to share this story. Seas are smaller than oceans and are usually located where the land and ocean meet. Typically, seas are partially enclosed by land. Go ahead. Okay. So, in the words of Delton, archipelago. You know what archipelago is? I hate you. (laughs) Yeah, it's in my definition book. Yes, archipelago in the definition book. Archipelago, group of islands, da-da-da-da. So, Alaska has a group of islands. So, if you have Alaska, like, going kind of southwest, there's, like, a whole group of islands, right? And so, there's this island at the very tip... Of Alaska. Yes. Follow me. It, it took me, I was, the, the Kenai Fords are right there. Fjords. The, the Kenai Fjords, Fords, are coming down from Anchorage that, yes, yeah. go ahead. So I have that little bugger. So there's this island, and I, so I, I read this story from a, I think it, her name is Dr. Traver. She is a, a agricultural specialist I follow on Twitter. And so there's this island at the end of the archipelago that is basically on the same uh same, I think it's a longitude as Ireland. And so it has very similar uh, climate, very similar weather. And the thing is with that island, there are no natural predators on the island, right? Following so far? Yes. Okay. So in the 1930s, I believe is what they said, a group of people decided that would be the prime place to raise cattle. And they were right. The cows just thrived up there. They've been raising cattle for like 75, 85 years. And the thing is, over there, they get a lot of waves. So the same waves that come to Hawaii Mm -hmm. go to that island, too. So it's not uncommon for them to get, like, 20, 30-foot waves. And so the thing with the cows, they're filled with gas because they're, like, tooting machines. And so the cows, they will get swept up by the waves, get pulled out to sea, but they float, so they go back to the water or they go back to the land. Creepy. So, okay, cows, waves come, get some cows, scoop them out to the ocean. They go, I'm in the ocean. And then they... You know, the tide carries them back to land. They get back on land. They're good to go, right? Yeah. Until, you know, how I I said. I'm guessing that the killer waves find out there's dinner. The killer whales find out their dinner. So now killer whales have basically uh, surrounded this island just waiting for cows to come out to the ocean for them to just go, nom, 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 nom. I mean, it makes sense. You're literally just like, hey, buffet, here you <laughs> buffet. go. Here's a four-stomached, cloven-hooved creature for you to just munch down on. I just love that humans try so hard to find this place with no natural predators on the land to <laughs> raise their cattle, and then all of a sudden the killer whales are like, oh, dope, McDonald's. This sounds correct. Yeah, so I learned about that today. I don't remember the name of the island, but I did remember that story, and it'll forever be on my heart. 
So this is a perfect question for today. Delton came up with this question. I was like, oh, I got the perfect story. No, well, I came up with favorite C, and you said, what about C story? Oh, that's right. Because I was going to say a favorite C. And I was going to say the C story of you peeing in the ocean in the Atlantic and being afraid of jellyfish. But yeah. that's for another time. Probably an episode we've done in the past. But then yep. Delton said C story, and I was like, oh, I got the perfect you story. You said C story. Or, I got, or Delton said he was going to talk about something that wasn't his own. Yes. And, yeah. So... Jesus, poor cows. <laughs> That's like that cow is living my entirely worst nightmare. I'm standing on land, eating, enjoying my life with my family. Oh no, the ocean got me. I'm floating in freaking water in the cold ocean. Oh no, there's a giant fish that's going to eat me now. That is a 100% my worst nightmare is just open. Oh God, it's giving me the chills. Open ocean, and then big ass fish goes. Look at that guy. I'm going to eat him. Especially killer whales because they play with their food like assholes. They're like the cats of the ocean. You realize this? I do. Ugh, God, it's horrifying. <laughs> Poor cows. I mean, this next story is not pleasant either because it's freaking oh, ocean. My favorite story is the actual story that is referenced in the Jaws monologue. Oh, God, I hate this story. Exactly. No, Welcome to my life. Why would you do this? So here's the thing. If you have not seen Jaws, I highly recommend it. I finally watched it for the first time. I understand why it's a good movie, because it's great. 1975. This is not a fun story, by the way. It's not a fun story. Uh, the monologue is not perfect for the actual history. However, it still gets all the big points correct, essentially. There were 895 men. What year was this? Uh, hold on, let me see. So it's about the USS Indianapolis, uh, and it's sinking. Uh, it was 1945. So it was, having served in Pacific Theater throughout World War II, the USS Indianapolis, which was a, like a warship, a naval ship, was sent to uh, Tinian with parts for Little Boy, which has to be dropped over Hiroshima. After completing the task and briefly stop, stopping in Guam, Indianapolis, uh, USS Indianapolis headed for the Philippines. At a quarter after midnight on July 30th of 45, the uh, Japanese cruiser submarine I-58 fired two Type 95 torpedoes at the Navy vessel, sinking her on the starboard side. Indianapolis sank within 12 minutes, and roughly 300 soldiers died aboard the ship. The remaining 895 members of the crew were just stranded in the water, and after four days, the survivors were rescued, but there were only 316 that made it out alive, a large portion of those were because of sharks in the surrounding water, as well as lack of food, lack of clean water, you know, being uh, exposure to the sun and stuff. But only 316 out of 895 came out alive. Horrifying story. Uh, the movie changes some details because it's a movie, but uh, it's definitely not great. It said many of the men died of dehydration, drowning, or exposure. Uh, they said it's hardly an issue because whether alive or dead, they were prey for sharks was the biggest, like probably the biggest thing. Absolutely horrifying, but also so interesting that they used that story in the movie and did so well. That monologue is one of the, probably my favorite part of the movie. Yes, it was very, like if you haven't seen Jaws, first of all, where have you been for the last 45 years? Well, I didn't see it till like two years ago, so. I know, progress, not perfection. But it is an incredible monologue and a very sad story. And after, so I had watched Jaws like in the 90s when I was like 10. So way too young. 
but uh, we looked it up whenever we watched it again with with Delty, and I didn't realize it was a real thing. Yeah, I did not realize that was a real story that Quint, Quint, whoever the boat captain, he's telling them this story on like a really rough water night or something. Uh, yeah, we didn't realize it was real, and I was like, this sounds too like not made up to be made up. You know what I mean? It sounds too real to be made up. So terrifying. On that note. On that very happy note of the ocean being a big, scary asshole, as well as people who sandbag games, more big, scary assholes, uh, I think that's going to be it for the podcast today. Uh, they, oh, uh, shoot, I was going to say something. What are you going to say? I think it's gone. <laughs> I think it's gone. Uh, we've, we're we're going to watch... We're going to watch the Oscars. We have been drumming. Uh, I've been playing Prey. There was something I had. You're going to go see Tool. Kyle's coming this weekend. Going to go see Tool in concert because he bought us tickets to go. I'm very excited. We're going to jam. We're hopefully record some music. Be able to get our songs a little more down. Uh, I feel like there was something else. It's going to have to just wait. Sorry. Anyway, that's the episode. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our amazing Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff for supporting us on Patreon at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. If you would like to be like them, head over to patreon.com slash Malthouse Games. You can also find us on social media at Malthouse Games and Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. If you have a question you want us to answer on the show, a topic you want us to cover, or a game that you think we should find to play and look at and talk about on the show, or even a beer to find and drink, you can send an email, contact at malthousegames.com. I think that's going to do it. Thank you so much again for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 163. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.